We're going to do one more uh, message in Luke chapter 7. Last week I said we were going to do prayer this week, but then, I don't know, God said one more message out of this text. Because really we've been focusing on the first half and we didn't really focus on the second half, so we're going to do that today. And uh, we're going to talk about grace and the power to love. Because in the second half of this text, Jesus actually gives us a little hint or a little tip and how we can actually have a greater power to love people. Uh, a greater ability to love people. And so uh, we're going to look at that today. So let's, let's read the text as, as we have for the last couple weeks. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet as she, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of uh, woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. A person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think this clicker is finally dying. There we go. So again, we see this as uh, the story of this uh, uh, three characters. Jesus, we see the Pharisee, and we see this, this woman whom the text calls an immoral woman, and this little interaction. Um, Jesus is, has been invited over to eat at the Simon the Pharisee's house, and uh, we, we know that typically Pharisees didn't like Jesus, and so it was probably just an obligation that he had to do because Jesus was going around preaching in the synagogues and just like some folks do, they invite the preacher over for lunch after. And so this Pharisee invites uh, the preacher over and, um, but he doesn't offer to wash Jesus' feet. And if you invited a, you know, a distinguished guest or someone special into your home, you would provide maybe a servant to wash their feet or at least some water or maybe you would do it. But Simon the Pharisee does nothing to wash his feet. You know, because he's just kind of putting up with Jesus. But then this woman 
comes in. And perhaps she is wondering why nobody washed the feet of Jesus. Because she knows something about Jesus. She has a sense that, that all of her sin has been forgiven because there's something so beautiful about Jesus that she, she sees a live love in her eyes that she has never seen before. And it could be that she's wondering, why in the world didn't anybody wash his feet? I mean, that's the, the least we should do. And so she takes it upon herself to go wash the feet of Jesus. But there's no wash pail anywhere to be seen. There's no cloth. And so she uses what she has. She has with her some perfume. She has with her her long hair. And she, so she uses that to begin to wash the feet of Jesus. And as we've talked about, this was a little bit provocative for that culture in terms of she was breaking a lot of the religious rules and sort of the, the customs of the day in order to taking your hair down. And especially as a woman to wash the, the feet of a man in public. I mean, a lot of no-nos there. It's a messy situation. The Pharisee looks at this woman and begins to judge her. Because as we've seen, Pharisees tend to look at everything through right and wrong and rules, and she's breaking a lot of rules, and so all he has in his heart is judgment for this woman. Jesus, on the other hand, even though he knows the mess of the situation, looks at this woman through the eyes of love. And it's interesting that a lot of people see God like the Pharisee. You know, a lot of folks... Uh, you know, when they mess up, <laughs> living a messy life, see God like the Pharisee, that God is just up there judging them and condemning them and has nothing good to say, but actually, God is like Jesus. Because Jesus came to reveal to us whom God is and, and exactly what the Father is like. And even in our mess, God looks at us with the same eyes that Jesus was looking at this woman with, these eyes of love and eyes of compassion. And we saw that this little interaction Jesus had with the Pharisee reminds us of a, a text we looked at last week where the Pharisees, Jesus says, you, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And the idea was that both camels and gnats, they were, they were unclean food for the folks back then. Uh, but the Pharisees were so worried about their rules, so worried about following all the little laws that they would actually strain out any water or wine that they would drink just in case they broke the law by eating a gnat. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, yeah, you're straining out a gnat, but you're actually swallowing a camel. You're missing the most important law of all. You're missing the law of love. And, uh, and, and we, we looked at just how throughout the New Testament, we see that the law of loving one another is the highest of the laws. Galatians 5, 14 for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or Romans 13, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Or James 2, obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or Galatians 5, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And the Pharisees had, Pharisees had done everything but that. <laughs> They'd strain out their gnat. They made sure they had all their theology in order and make sure they were not doing the wrong things and doing the right things, but they had missed the most important thing, and that was loving people. And this is a subtle trap that can happen to us as well, where we begin to get so focused in all the little rules, making sure we're living right and making sure I have all the right theology that we can miss the most important thing, which is actually to really love people and to have compassion on them. And so it's a powerful lesson where 
we, we just need to be careful of this, this tendency that we can have where we focus on all the little rules rather than on the most important thing. It would be like driving your car down the highway and you're so focused on all the controls and the, the, the steering wheel and the pedals that you forget to look out the window. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And as you're teaching drivers, you say, keep your eyes on the road. And this is God's message to us to say, keep your eyes on the road. Focus on loving one another. That fulfills the whole law. And when you do that, all the other little things tend to come into, into place. And then we looked at this verse in 1 Peter 4, 8, where, again, this, this idea says, most important of all, not secondary, not last on the list, but most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And this is God's love. Because again, Jesus would say of this woman, she has many sins. She was the immoral woman. Yet Jesus was able in his love to cover that sin. It was loving her and not pointing out her faults. The Pharisee, on the other hand, couldn't. All he could do was, was point out sin. And this is the difference between someone who is following the royal law of loving people and Pharisees. When you love people, your love covers a multitude of sins. Pharisees cannot do that. They have to point it out. And they will always point out everybody's sin and everybody's problems and everybody's mistakes and everybody's theological error because they get their life from being right and life from the rules. And, and Jesus in this text is challenging us to have such a love that it actually covers a multitude of sin. And that the first thing people sense in this is not judgment, but a deep love. And so Jesus would say in this text of this woman, because she actually, uh, Jesus actually lifts this woman up and uses her as an example of how we're to live. Even in her mess, she, he uses her as an example. Uh, he says, she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Again, Simon the Pharisee didn't wash Jesus' feet. She did, even though she did it in a messy, kind of broken way. Uh, again, we don't know the story of this woman. It just says she's an immoral woman. Uh, Jesus said she has much sin in her life. We don't know what that is. A lot of people presume she was a, a prostitute of some sort, but we don't know. Uh, but we don't know her story. Again, as we talked about in the first message, she, uh, maybe her husband died and she was left with you know, a whole bunch of kids, which uh, she had trouble feeding because most people in those days lived day to day. They worked just enough to get food for the day. Uh, maybe she had trouble feeding her kids, and so the only thing she could do to love her kids was to, to sell her body. Uh, maybe she had been divorced numerous times and because she couldn't produce, you know, a, a male offspring, uh, a male child, and she was kind of left desolate and again, maybe had to, to sell her body or whatever. We don't, we don't know the story, but something in her, when she saw Jesus, she saw a love that she had always been looking for. She saw for the first time hope. And in fact, it, we get the sense from this text, in fact, we know from the text that, that before she even began to wash the feet of Jesus, she knew she was forgiven. She knew that her sin had been washed away. She knew that her, her shame had been, been removed. And, and so out of this deep forgiveness, she begins to show much love by, I mean, imagine being this woman, ostracized and put down and shamed having the boldness in front of all these men, Pharisees, at this table, and there's Jesus, to actually go up and do this. 
I mean, it's, it takes incredible love to love when it takes a lot of courage. But she does this because she realized she had been forgiven much. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. That's past tense. So, so she had the sense that her sins had been forgiven even before Jesus proclaimed it. It's not until verse 48 where Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus had said already, your sins have been forgiven. Maybe she had an interaction with Jesus before. Maybe it was just the love in his eyes that, that, that she knew she was actually truly forgiven. That the weight of her sins she didn't have to carry anymore. And, uh, and often we actually don't know the weight of our sin until we've actually experienced forgiveness. You know, it's like, I don't know, I've never had super long hair, but maybe down to here, you know. And then when you get a haircut, your head's just like, whoa, my head feels light. I mean, you don't realize the weight you've been carrying until it's gone, right? Uh, this, is, this is like sin. A lot of people live for years and years and years, and they don't understand the weight of the, of the sin they've been carrying until it's actually been removed until you actually feel and experience forgiveness in, in your heart. And all of a sudden, you, you feel so free, and you feel this incredible freedom to actually really begin to love people. And it's really important that we understand forgiveness from the heart. Colossians 2 says, God made you alive with Christ, and He forgave all our sins. And that actually means all. Sometimes we think it's just, you know, the little ones, but not really the big ones, not the secret ones, not the hidden ones. He couldn't forgive those. All of your sin, he forgives. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I mean, you, you could think of every mistake you've ever made, every wrong thought, every time you should have done something that you didn't, and every time that you did something you shouldn't, and, and big or small, just imagine it being written down. In like encyclopedias, <laughs> volumes. And it's like Jesus takes all of those charges and he cancels them all and he nails it to the cross and he burns it and he dies for it and it's gone, it's forgiven. In this way, it says he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. These are the accusers. And sometimes these are evil spirits. Sometimes this is, is a voice within. You know, Jesse, you're such a rotten person. Or how, you're such a horrible person. It could be inner voices or outer voices. He's disarmed them. They have no more, no more power because he's disarmed them. He's canceled them. And that is why when we hear voices of condemnation from the enemy or voices within that condemn us, that we can just say, hey, they're done. It's canceled. It's gone. And if you go pay your parking ticket because you got one on Baker Street, like I'm sure all of us have, and you pay it, parking guy can come up and say, hey, you got a parking. You say, it's paid for. <laughs> you have nothing on me. <laughs> That's what we say to the devil. That's what we say to the enemy. That's what we say to the voices within. Hey, it's gone. It's paid for. It's done. It's canceled. You have nothing on me. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. In fact, God is so serious about his forgiveness that it says, I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. It's not like he'll say, you know, you know, like we do to people, you know, I'll forgive you this time, but I'm not going to forget and I'm going to file away because next time you do it, I'm going to bring that out and get you with it. You know, it's the third time you've done this to me. God is so serious. He says, I, I forget it. 
And nothing is impossible for God, and he can forget things if he wants to. Uh, he, can, he, just, he removes it, and, and it's not in his thinking when he looks at us. Again, we need to, to grasp the, the, the eyes of Jesus looking at the sinful woman are the same eyes that God has for you and I today. Again, often we make the mistake thinking that God is like this Pharisee. Pointing at our sin, judging us of our sin, you know, getting us. And, but there is forgiveness. There's forgiveness, as, as, just as this woman experienced. At Colossians 1, he says, He has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. It's like when you picture yourself going into the throne room, <laughs> into his presence, this is what it talks about here. He has brought you into his presence, and he sees you as if you're blameless. It says here, and you are, not going to be in the future, but you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single thought. Be- because if Jesus forgives you, if God forgives you and he forgets it, then he sees you as holy and blameless. And because Jesus paid for it all on the cross, and this is the, the kind of radical forgiveness that God has for us. And it can be super, super, super hard for us to even understand that. Because we don't see this in our world. Nobody does this for us. People hold things against us. We hold things against ourselves. And, and this radical forgiveness where it's actually gone and washed away and forgotten, it, it is so hard for us to grasp because, again, it's only a God thing. And this is why it says in Romans 10, 11, that anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. See, a lot of people see God up there shaming people. If you believe in him, you'll never be put to shame. You're holy and blameless in his sight. You're forgiven. He has removed your your sin. He has cleansed you. But the issue is actually allowing that to actually get down to our hearts. That's the hard part. I know a lot of Christians who say, yeah, I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. But they're still carrying the weight of shame in their heart. And uh, in fact, next week I decided I'm going to do a whole message on just on shame uh, because I run into it quite often with, with folks where he's like, I know I'm forgiven, but they, they're, they're still carrying shame. And, and forgiveness goes down deep enough that it actually is to remove shame. Yeah. Remove those accusatory voices that come within and, and from without. And, and this woman had this grasp of this amazing, incredible forgiveness. And the only way we can maybe picture it in the human realm, because again, it's so hard because we don't see this in this world, the closest thing maybe we could grasp is when you look at, you know, you know healthy parents with, 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 with a newborn baby. This newborn baby comes into the world, and uh, this, this newborn baby isn't like, you know, like doing dishes and, you know, cleaning, you know, the house and, you know, helping out around the house. In fact, this baby makes things way more difficult. And those of you who are parents know what I'm talking about because... You don't get a lot of sleep, and, and they wake up, and, you know, they poop, and they puke on you, and puke in your mouth. I had that happen before, and, and uh, you know, they, they make things for your, more inconvenient. I mean, you can say, in a sense, there's nothing that this baby does to kind of earn, you know, forgiveness or love, because they actually make things more inconvenient, but what do parents do? They just love. They just love on this child, and when, when the baby pukes on you, you're just like, oh, and you wipe it up, and you, you forgive them, and I mean, you do. 
It's, it's like this love that flows one way, and they're not doing anything to kind of earn it or deserve it because they're not paying rent, and they're not cleaning their room, and they're not cleaning up their own diaper. They haven't even learned how to use a potty yet. I mean, there's nothing coming the other way. But parents love. And this is what God is like towards us. You know, a lot of times we think we have to, you know, we have to clean up our poopy mess, and we've got to clean up our puke, and we've got we to do the dishes in order for God to love us. We've got we to strive and perform in order for God to actually forgive me. No, no, God is just saying, I love you as you are. I love you simply because you're, you're my child. And just like we, when we're parents, we look at that newborn baby, and we've had a hard day, and we're tired, we just look into that baby's face, and it just all goes away, and we're like, I love you so much. And that's the way God is towards us. That's the way God actually calls us. He calls us uh, his, his dearly, dearly loved children. And when you begin to understand the love of parents towards a baby, you just begin to scratch the surface of, of God's love and forgiveness towards you. A love that doesn't have to do with you performing or striving or having all things together. I mean, we get a glimpse into this, of this, this in Ephesians 1. Where it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who uh, belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave forgave our sin. He has showered his kindness on us with all wisdom and understanding. It's just grace that is showered. I mean, if, if there is not something in you that thinks like, that's just too much, it's too radical, I mean, that's too much grace, that's too much love, then you're just starting to get it. I mean, his love and grace is so big, we should almost have an issue with it because it's just radically different than what we see in this world where it's always, you know, I'll do it for you, do it for me. We earn, we, you know, we, we got to perform in order to get, but God is just saying, it's showering from my presence. It doesn't matter if you're poopy, diapers, pooper. I just love you. And the grace is coming from the Father towards, towards us. You know, the Arnots in their little book called Grace and Forgiveness say this. Many Christians are still mystified by grace. They fail to live in the richness of it themselves. And they fail to show grace to others. Many are still trapped by a performance-based theology that thinks God's love must be earned or deserved. They think that if they behave well and perform good works for God, then He will love them more. This is so far from the truth. God cannot love us any more nor any less than He does now. And He longs for us to live in that place of grace where we understand that He gives His love to us freely. God's love and grace are gifts for us to receive. Do we ever deserve them? No. We are totally undeserving. But we are the undeserving who are the apple of His eye. And we're undeserving in the sense that we don't have to work to earn it. But you know, there is another sense we actually are deserving of God's love. And all we've got to go back is to, you know, a, a picture of a little baby. You know, if you look at a little baby... Would you look at that little baby and you, you, would, you, would you say that baby is deserving of love? Of course we would. We say that baby is deserving of love from their parents. That baby is deserving of love from others. Why? Again, it has nothing to do with their performance. It has nothing to do with what they've earned or, you know, if they've done anything. It's because 
That's a baby. It's life. It's alive. It's, uh, he or she is created in the image of God, and the same with you and I. There's a sense we are deserving of God's love, not because we've earned it, we're undeserving in that sense, but we are deserving because you and I have been created in the very image of God. That all of us, in a sense, are deserving of God's love because He created it. Just as a little baby deserves love, but we must understand it's not because we've earned it. (laughs) Any more than a baby has earned it. God just loves us deeply. Titus 3.5 says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. And so with that, I want to read this uh, text again that we read last week. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. It is about grace. It is always about grace. It will continue to be about grace. And it's just a matter of really learning to receive that deeply and to allow his love and forgiveness to really touch your heart because Jesus says this is where the power to love comes from. When you understand how much you've been forgiven, Jesus says you will love much. If you don't think you've been forgiven much or receive much grace, you will not love much. Again, a person who forgives little shows only little love. And we can illustrate it this way. Uh, let's say that uh, you want to go buy a new car, and, uh, and you've been saving up for maybe 10 years for this new car. You just, you just really, really want a new car, and you've been saving up 10 years, and you finally got the money together. And so you go to the dealership to go buy this car, and uh, you're, you're hoping you can you know, talk the salesman down a little bit and get a deal, and so you start chatting to the salesman, and you tell him, I've been saving up for 10 years for, for a new car. I can finally buy it. And you go into the office. You start trying to wheel and deal, and the salesman says, hey, I tell you what, let's hold on one minute. He does some paperwork, and then he says, here are the keys. And you're like, well, how much do I owe? He says, no, I decided to buy it for you. It's your, my gift to you. Total grace. Just, I, I just, you're just an awesome person. Here's your free car. I mean, you get in that free car. I mean, how are you going to treat that salesman? You're going to love that salesman. You're going to go home and bake him some cookies, chocolate chip cookies, right? You're going to think about Christmas. You're going to send him a Christmas card. And, and you're going to like, man, that salesman there, if you want to buy a car, you go to that guy, because the uh, gal or whatever, because they're amazing. You, I mean, you'd have such love for that salesman. Why? Because he just showed you much grace. And this is the way it is with God. He has showed us so much grace. And so out of that, we are to respond with love towards others. Now, you roll that story back. Let's say you go to that, buy that car. And, uh, and you, you sit down with the salesman, and you're like, I, you know, can you give me off? And he says, nope, can't give you any money off. Nope, sorry. You know, this is my bottom price. I'm not going to give you any money off. And you wrestle, and he doesn't budge a bit. And then he says, well, I'll tell you what. What I'll do is I'll throw in, you know, one of my air fresheners. It's got my, my picture on it. <laughs> and you're like, fine. You, you just want to get out of there. You, you, you buy this car. You wouldn't be buying that salesman any cookies, I tell you. You're probably saying, you're not a salesman, you probably want to, don't want to buy a car from that person, because, why? Well, you've earned that car. 
All the money of that car is, you've earned that car. You, you've worked for that car, so it's yours. And the salesman is just kind of the, the mediator. And so you, you wouldn't love deeply. And this is what happens when you begin to move into a performance-oriented Christianity. Or you begin to move into a pharisaical Christianity where it's about you trying to obey all the rules and i got to perform and if I just obey and perform then maybe God will love me and then you will have very little love because you've earned it. And if you think you've earned it, then you will look at every single person around you because I've earned it, you need to earn it. You know, I've earned God's love and I've earned his favor and I've earned the ability to do miracles and so you better earn it. You will have very little love because you think it's about performance and works and earning rather than grace. But when you understand that God has forgiven you and he's showered love on you and that you've experienced so much grace and everything you have is just a gift from God, then all of a sudden you begin to treat other people the same way you've been treated. Because if I haven't earned it, then that person over there, they don't need to earn my love either. I'm just going to love them. If I haven't earned forgiveness, God just forgives me, then I'm just going to forgive that person over there because God's forgiven me, I forgive them. I didn't earn it, they don't have to earn it. This is why Jesus says, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. Our experience of God's love and forgiveness needs to be greater than the mess we see around us. The experience of God's love has got to be greater than the mess we see around us. And uh, I think we have time. So let's go back to this car illustration. You get this car. Uh, let's say the, the salesman gives you this car, and you are, you're super excited because you just got a free $30,000 car or whatever. And you, uh, you, know, you drive to down Baker Street, you're going to go shopping, you're going to buy yourself some clothes because you're, you just have an awesome day, you want to buy yourself something nice. And you park your car there, and you come back out and you'll see you have a parking ticket on your car. Uh, you'd just be like, ah, you know, it's kind of silly, but you know, you'd still be rocking it inside. You'd be so thrilled because you just got a free car. I mean, what the deal with a $14 parking ticket? You'd go home and you'd just be thrilled. You'd be like, oh, you know, husband, wife, I just got a free car. This is amazing. You, know? you wouldn't even think about the parking ticket because you've just received all this grace. Now, if you paid for that car and all your money went to that car and you earned that car and then you went and bought some ice cream, then you came back to your car and there was a parking ticket on it, you'd be ticked. On top of the salesman didn't give me a deal, and I had to earn every penny of this car, and on top of this, I get a parking ticket, and you would go home, and you'd be like, can you believe this, wife, husband, I got a stupid parking ticket, you would, you would have, you have no capacity to handle mess. Why? Because you've earned everything, and so you have no capacity to handle a mess, but when you receive grace, hey, what's a parking ticket? You, you have a lot of capacity to handle mess, because you've experienced love and grace. And this is what God is calling to have, have a, such a capacity of receiving his love and grace that when we run into an immoral woman, or we run into somebody who is messy, we look at them with eyes of love because God's experience, our experience of his love is greater than the mess we see. And so really this comes back to, uh, we, to receive his grace, to constantly be someone who learns to receive the love of of God into your hearts. To receive it in a way where you're not performing, you're not doing, you're not acting, you're not saying, you're not doing, just to learn to receive because when you receive that grace, that everything flows out from that. And I think I have one more quote. I think I read this last week, but uh, he says this, James Jordan, the key to Christianity is this. If we are to become competent at anything, it is this one thing. 
Learn to become an expert at receiving the substance of God, the Father's love, being poured into your hearts. Why is that the key to Christianity? Because the one who has been forgiven much, the one who has received much love, loves much. And the rule, above them all, the royal rule is to love one another. And the only way that happens is when we have experienced such a deep love and grace that we realize we haven't earned, then it just becomes easy to love those around us. So Father, we just ask this morning, and continue to pour your love into our hearts. God, that you would help us to push back from the ways of this world which says everything needs to be earned and you've got to perform in order to achieve. And by God, with you, you just love us. And God, you just forgive us. And God, I just pray for anyone in this room who is sensing any kind of weight from shame or guilt. God, that you would give them an experience of your forgiveness in this moment. God, that you were looking at them with eyes of peace. And any dirt, any junk, any crud, God, has just been removed by your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you flood us with your love, and we thank you that you are so, so good, radically good. And God, we just seal this time with a song of reflection and response. In Jesus' name.